Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. As we head into the summer months of 2020, we're going to be taking a look at the Psalms of Ascent. In the book of Psalms, there are 15 Psalms. Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. And these are songs for the road. These 15 Psalms would have comprised the playlist for the road as the pilgrims would have traveled their way, made their way to the city of Jerusalem for the annual feasts. They would sing these songs together. Maybe when you travel, you've got a favorite playlist. I know when we go on vacation, we love to listen to music. We love to put in, and there are certain songs that remind us of certain places or certain trips or vacations that we have been on together. And when that song plays, we're immediately reminded of those places that we've been together. When we go to camp, and unfortunately, it looks like we're not going to be able to go to camp this summer because of the coronavirus, and we're going to miss that. And there's going to be a longing in our hearts and our students' hearts that they were looking forward to going to camp this year and singing those songs. And some of them are great worship songs, and some of them are as, as annoying as you can imagine when you're listening to them repeated over and over on the bus about a moose or whatever else, a frog. All of those songs, but it's familiar, and kids enjoy singing these songs. We're sharing an experience together and we're missing out on this right now. As the Israelites and worshipers of Jehovah would have been making their way up to Jerusalem from all different directions, the people of God would be filled with anticipation, filled with joy. They would be traveling from everywhere, moving up in elevation to the city of God, to this holy city where at that time would have been not the Dome of the Rock, but there would have been Solomon's great and beautiful temple. And they would have been coming to worship. And these Psalms, they would have remembered and they would have rehearsed them together. Let me give us a little background to the Psalms of Ascent. Four of the Psalms are ascribed to David. One is ascribed to Solomon. And then there are 10 that are anonymous. These psalms rise out of great trials and great testing in the lives of the psalmist. Many of them, they, re, they don't have a good resolution. They're not like a, a modern day sitcom that at the end everything's solved and everybody is smiling. The psalm that we begin with today, the song of deliverance from Psalm 120, it doesn't end with a good, nice, comfortable resolution. And that's the way life is. There's a lot of things that I don't understand and circumstances and situations and relationships and trials and testing and sickness and death that I don't have answers for. And the Psalms are helpful to increase my worship that in the hardest of times, we can offer the highest praise. That's what we're going to be looking at in the coming weeks as we look at these Psalms together. 
the longer we live and the more we experience trials and suffering, there's something that just resonates in us that there's something wrong. This isn't the way that it was meant to be. And that takes us all the way back to Genesis and chapter 3 in the fall when we disobeyed God. When we rebelled and sin entered into the world. And so a curse spread and sin spread to all men that all have sinned. When we worship the Lord, we're acknowledging, loved ones, that we're not home yet. That he is worthy and we are needy and we're ready and we're anticipating the day when we can gather again in this place as the people of God, worshiping the living God in fellowship together. I read of a pastor just this week and they came back and they worshiped together and they were able to have service. And the pastor said, I wasn't expecting this overwhelming joy manifested in weeping. I don't even know what he's talking about. Crying, I don't have that problem. Okay, now I'm lying. I have to listen to my own message. I'm expecting, I have anticipation of the time when we can gather again in an unusual way, in a distancing way, but coming together safely to worship God. And that day is just around the corner for us. The writer of Hebrews, he depicted believers from the Old Testament as strangers and exiles in Hebrews eleven thirteen, And he writes this, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Now, We've been looking lately a lot at the Apostle Peter and John, and we, we studied in our Live Boldly series. Here's what Peter, as he picks up on that theme in a New Testament perspective, 1 Peter 2, verse 11, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, that's maligning, that's false accusation, that's slandering. When they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That sounds so much like Matthew 5, 16. Peter was listening and the Holy Spirit reminded him that in the darkest of trials... That's when the light of the gospel in us shines beautifully bright. Psalm 120. The Psalm of David, he cries out in my distress. I called to the Lord and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you? And what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshach, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. This is the word of the Lord. I want to give background to the Psalms. 
Psalm 120 is ascribed to David. And perhaps, perhaps this rem came out of the time when De David encountered Doeg the Edomite, a descendant of Esau. You see, the Lord ordained David to take over the royal throne from Saul. Saul was the first king of Israel. David was the second king. Saul reigned for 40 years, and David would reign for 40 years. Saul was actively trying to find and kill David. And in 1 Samuel chapter 21, we find an occasion that Jesus mentioned, and it's referenced in Matthew 12, Mark 2, and Luke 6, three of the Gospels. On the Sabbath day, Jesus was walking with his disciples. They were going through a field. The disciples just happened to, to pluck some grain. They rubbed it in their hands and got rid of the chaff. And they blew the chaff away. And they ate the kernels of grain. They were hungry. The Pharisees saw this. They indicted them. Jesus, your disciples are not keeping the Sabbath day. And Jesus referenced the account from 1 Samuel 21 when David was on the run from King Saul and he went and he went to the priest in Nob. And there Abiathar was the priest and Abiathar was afraid when he saw David. What are you doing coming here? This could be, I can be guilty of treason by receiving you. And David said, we need food or we're going to die. And so Abiathar the priest gave to David bread that had been offered to the Lord. He gave to him the day-old bread, and he also gave to him a weapon. And what he gave to him was the Saul that belonged to Goliath of Gath. And David left with his men, and they fled to Gath. Now, there's a problem in this account, and it's in 1 Samuel 21 and verse 7. Now, a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day detained before the Lord. His name was Doag the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. So here is one of Saul's men, and he hates David, and he sees David interacting with the priest. And as I said, Saul is trying to kill David. David is trying to be peaceful and to be right and righteous toward the Lord's anointed but King Saul isn't having any of it. In 1 Samuel 22, the next chapter, Saul is furious. He can't find David. He finds out that his son Jonathan is making uh, alliances with David. And he says, I can't trust anybody. Who here is going to be faithful? Nobody has anything to say. And then up pipes Doeg the Edomite. 1 Samuel 22 Verses 9 and 10. Then answered Doeg the Edomite who stood by the servants of Saul. I saw son of Jesse come to Nob to Ahimelech the son of Ahitub. And he inquired of the Lord for him and gave him provisions and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Now think about it. This very account brought from the lips of Doeg the Edomite, could have reminded Saul of the faithfulness of God to deliver the children of Israel from the hands of Goliath of Gath, the Philistines. And who did God use? Was David. 
God gave the victory that day and David was part of it and Saul was a witness to it. God receives the glory and here's a shot across the bow that King Saul could have remembered God is sovereign and God is good and God is faithful and God delivers. But instead he's mad. He's offended. He's angry. He's losing control. He's losing his kingdom. He's losing control over his children, his house, his future as if he ever had control to begin with. It's a mirage to think that we're in control really of anything. We have responsibility, but God is sovereign. So they called the priests and he came and they brought him Ahimelech. And 85 priests they brought before King Saul. And Saul was furious and he ordered his captains, his guard, to slaughter them for their unfaithfulness and they wouldn't lift a sword. And Doeg said, I'll do it. And he committed murder that day. Now, eventually, Saul would die. Tragically. And David would be crowned the rightful king. And he would revisit this location that was marked by tragedy and sorrow and suffering. And in bringing the ark of God up to the city of David... All of these memories would have flooded David's heart and David's mind. Now he's king. Saul is in the grave. The ark would be brought up and you think about these psalms of degrees, psalms of ascent. Think about music that goes up in another uh, key change and it keeps moving up. And in the temple, they, they say there was 15 steps and the priests would stand on these steps and they would sing and musical instruments would be played. And this celebration would just be turned up a notch and then another notch and it would keep raising in elevation and out of this tragedy, David would bring up the ark to the city of David. But in 2 Samuel chapter 6, David would do it the wrong way. They would load up the ark on a, on a cart with oxen and try to bring that cart. And Uzzah reaches out his hand when the oxen stumble and they hit a bump or whatever happened. And he puts his hand up and the Lord strikes Uzzah and he dies. And, and David has a problem with God, what God has done. And David, like Saul, is angry with the Lord. And, and he's the king and he's trying to do things for God. And, and so the, the ark of the covenant is parked for a while at a home in Obed-Edom's house. And finally, in 2 Samuel 6, 12 to 15, David brings the ark up using the priests, doing things God's way, worshiping God's way. And the whole event is marked by singing and loud horns and dancing and praising God. Even so much that when they come in the city, Saul's daughter, Michael, sees, she looks out the window and she sees David dancing and worshiping. And he is just just going before the temp, before the ark on the way to the place in the city of David. And he's undignified because he's so in love with the Lord. He's so thankful for the mercy of the Lord. So they're bringing up, they're bringing up, you see this elevation. Then the ark would be brought up by David's son, King Solomon. In 1 Kings 8, Israel gathered to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. So in verse one, it says the priest took 
up the ark and they brought up the ark of the Lord to the tent, the tent of meeting and all the holy vessels that were in the tent in verse four. So you see the elevation, they're moving up. The ark is going up. It's going up to now this temple that was built by Solomon. Now, when pilgrims would come from all over the land and they would come to worship during the feasts of Israel during the year, these annual feasts, they would come and they would be singing these psalms of ascent going up to the house of the Lord, going up to worship the Lord, the living God with their, their, uh, the worshipers of God, the people of God and the presence of God. And they just couldn't wait to be there and hear the word of the Lord and worship corporately. And then they sinned and they were unfaithful and they rebelled against the Lord and the Northern kingdom went into Assyrian bondage and captivity and exile. And then the Southern kingdom and all of Israel was put into through Babylon and then through Persia. But the day would come and they would be delivered and they would be set free and they would be brought back. And the Lord would move even in the hearts of foreign kings to raise up and the temple would be rebuilt under Rehoboam. And they would come back and they would worship once again in this place, the living God with the people of God and they would come. And from that time, the second temple all the way into the new Testament times when Jesus was born, his family, they were singing these songs, these Psalms of ascent. And when Jesus would be at 12 years old, his family would have been singing these Psalms on their way to worship the Lord in the temple in Jerusalem. And when Jesus went into public ministry with his disciples and even the women that would follow when they would make their way up to the temple, they would be singing. This is their songbook. This is their hymn book. These 15 Psalms they would have had on their playlist, their road mix. They would be worshiping. These songs would have been burned deeply in their soul. Now, Jesus is the seed of David. Jesus is greater than David. Our worship must be forever centered and grounded in Jesus Christ. We don't have to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem because Jesus made a way for us and he opened up. He opened up heaven so that we who are aliens of the covenant, strangers from the promise, that's not our heritage but we're brought in and brought near by the blood of the lamb. Now, kids, I have an assignment for you. I'm going to put you on mission. As we're talking about road trips and we're talking about traveling, we're talking about going to places that these people, these worshipers love to go. They love to go to the temple. This week, early in the week, as early as you can, I would like for you and parents, please help send me a picture Send me the picture of a place that you love to go. It might be vacation. It might be a relative's house, a favorite place to go. Maybe it's camp. And then record a short video. And if you will, shoot that video, the, the uh, landscape, all right, sideways so that we can get a full picture. I want to hear why do you like to go there? Where is this place? 
Why do you enjoy going there? And you can help with next Sunday's sermon as we're, as we're looking at this expectation, relationships, joy, places that are fond and we love to go and we can't wait for some of these restrictions to be lifted so that we can visit the ones that we love again. Help me with that if you will, all right? You're on mission this week. Now, let's look at this text, all right? Just... For a few moments, we're going to look at how did the psalmist handle this, this great trial? How was he able to give highest praise in the hardest times? If our hope is in the Lord, beloved, then when hard times come, and they will come, we know they have come, are, we're in the middle of it right now, and they will come, then here's what we can do. Like the psalmist, we can ask for help. The psalmist lifts his cry to the Lord like a child to a father crying for help. In personal distress, he cries out to the Lord. The Lord is sovereign over all that we encounter. For some of us, it is so difficult for us to admit our need for help. We like to be the one helping, but when it comes to us being helped, we don't like it. Because here's the truth. If I ask somebody to help me, they might not do it the way that I like it to be done. They might slow me down. Kind of perfectionist in some ways. Somebody helps me, they're going to, quote, mess it up. Unquote. Maybe you're like that. The psalmist was brought to the end of his resources, and he realized he was in a serious trial, a bad place, anguish, adversity, tribulation. That's the distress that he is in. And he cries out to Yahweh. He cries out to the Lord because the Lord alone is the one who is living. He hears and answers prayer. And notice this, beloved. The Lord did not keep the psalmist out of trials, but he preserved him through the trials. The Lord has not promised to keep you and me out of pain and out of suffering, but he will keep us through our pain and suffering. And so in this distress, he offers to the Lord a passionate prayer. He's passionate. This prayer is, is, is real, as real as it gets. It's a heartfelt prayer. And we have from uh, uh, J.W. Burjan, the wondrous advantage of trouble. It makes us call upon God. That's the advantage of trouble. It makes us call upon God. So the psalmist is here asking for God's help. He's crying out for deliverance. Deliver me. Save me, O Lord. Rescue me. And beloved, God is the only one who's able to rescue us from trouble. Psalm 46, he's our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. So he lays the issue out before the Lord. The psalmist needs to be rescued. He needs to be rescued from lying lips, from those who are slandering him. Can I ask you the question, have you ever endured someone speaking falsely about you? Someone spreading lies about you? Do you know how that feels? Do you understand how much that hurts when someone that you love and you thought that they loved you and they thought you thought that you were in a strong relationship together and then you hear of what they're saying 
and you know it before God to not be true, it hurts. It cuts us deep. So the psalmist responds in prayer. It's nothing new for us to personally experience the ill effect of lying lips in our day. We don't need to think it's strange. That old saying as a kid, sticks and stones, break my bones, words will never harm me. That's a lie. Some of us can remember things that were spoken to us by a coach or by a parent or somebody that we trusted, and they said things to us hurtful. You'll never amount to anything. You know, that was said uh, by Ravi Zacharias, who passed away this week. His father told him that, and he would refer to that often. It cut him deep. It put him on a, on a bed of suicide where he came to, to know Christ, where the Lord graciously found him and, and saved him. These words cut deep. Spurgeon says it this way, the prince of, prince of preachers, all right, is what uh, Charles Spurgeon is known as. He said, lips are soft, but when they are lying lips, they suck away the life of character and are as murderous as razors. Lips are so soft, but when they speak lies, slander, they destroy, they mar, they hurt. So he's laying out his case before the Lord, lying lips and a deceitful tongue. There are times when somebody is saying something directly against us, but listen to me, beloved, there are times when the people of God, they hear something being said that they question or even know to not be true and their lips remain silent. They're sinning by omission because they're not speaking up. They're not saying that's not true. So they're allowing slander to be propagated. They're lying by silence. The psalmist waits on the Lord. He, know, he knows that God hears and God answers prayer. So he says, I called to the Lord and he answered me. Is the psalmist here expressing that he's praising God for past deliverance? Or is he here praising God or trusting a confidence in God's past faithfulness to once again, to do it again? We sing that song, to do it again, based on your faithfulness. Both can be true. That because of God's past faithfulness, the psalmist knows it's as good as done. I can trust in the Lord. And Spurgeon, he helpfully says it this way. I found this to be convicting and encouraging. He said, silence to man and prayer to God are the best cures for the evil of slander. Are you quick to take up your own cause and defend your own cause? Or do you take your cause to the Lord? Do I take my cause in prayer on my knees to the Lord and let him righteously and rightly defend me? The psalmist, he asks for help. And secondly, we see that if we trust in the Lord, if our hope is in the Lord, we're leaning on, then when hard times come, we can take issue with deceit. The psalmist doesn't excuse this, his enemies. He doesn't ignore those who are slandering him. They must be dealt with. Error must be dealt with. We see that 
Old Testament, New Testament, that the truth must be spoken in love. So he addresses them. He turns away from praying, and he now addresses the enemies, those adversaries, those who are maligning him. And he addresses the seriousness of sin's curse. Here he, he pronounces, it's, a, it's an oath, the way that it's laid out in the Hebrew. It's a, it's a curse upon the enemies. That seeing lies and slander from God's perspective, that's essential for us, beloved, to live a holy and upright life. Because God is the one who cannot lie. So when people lie and we bear his image, it's lying about God and God is not okay with this. And the people of God cannot be okay with lies and deceitfulness and slander and maligning one another. So the psalmist is asking God in the form of an oath to bring his enemies' words back upon them. That the adversaries of the psalmist, obviously they were not without sin. They were evil. But the psalmist, he wasn't an individual that was without sin either because even David was guilty of lying. He was guilty of adultery. And he was even guilty of murder, shedding blood. Only Jesus, my friend, can perfectly be justified in pronouncing judgment upon others. So you and I must be so careful if when we're praying and how we pray about people who have wronged us, knowing that I have, I have sinned and I have transgressed God's law and I have lied and he has mercifully forgiven me. And it took the life's blood of Jesus dying on the cross, that he who knew no sin became sin for me, became sin for us, for all who will turn from their sin and trust in Christ alone, 2 Corinthians 5, 21 tells us. So he's taking issue with deceit. Sin's curse is serious, but so is the severity of divine judgment. Can't let it go unchecked. The psalmist desires a righteous and just end to this calamity. And we ask ourselves, is, is God okay with us praying this like this, uh, singing a song like this? God takes sin and slander seriously. When we speak ill of others, we're speaking about someone made in the image of God. And they may be on the other side of the aisle politically. You might be a Democrat and you're talking about Republicans or Republicans about Democrats or whatever it may be. But you have to remember something and I have to remember something. They're made in the image of God. And it even intensifies when we're talking about believers. Because when you talk about a brother or sister in Christ, the spirit of God dwells in them. And the Lord himself takes seriously how we treat one another and how we talk about one another. So we see this imagery of a warrior's sharp arrows, God's judgment piercing their hearts with truth. These glowing coals of the broom tree, that was the finest wood for making charcoal. These hot fires, this purification of judgment that their words would come back upon them. And he's committing them then to the Lord. The evil effects of slander are long lasting. And as this psalm would come out of David's heart and his mind and his experiences, he would be remembering what Doeg did and what Saul did by lying against David and believing the lies of his own mind and of his own making that David is out to get me. And he would go for him. And 85 priests died 
And a city, the city of Nob, was destroyed, was wiped out. All the men, the women, the children, the animals, they wiped out the city. That's how angry Saul was. And no one stood up that day to defend the honor of David. The only person that raised their voice was Doeg. Just think about that. And he said, I can tell you where you can find him. Devastating. The psalmist takes issue. He doesn't just magically wave a wand over this and say, no big deal. He's broken by this. He's still saddened by this. He's still touched with the infirmities that happened that day. And he would probably think back and say, maybe if I would have been at the, there earlier, maybe if I would have left more quietly, those people would still be alive. But even later on, at the birth of Christ, an Edomite king would pursue in the city of David, Bethlehem. And there in Bethlehem, all of those infant boys would be put to death two and under. And there was a cry that went up. Oh, do we understand how broken our world is? How broken we are apart from Christ? If our hope is in the Lord, when hard times come, then beloved, we can ask for help, take issue with deceit, and thirdly, long for peace. In verses 5 through 7, we see the psalmist lament. He cries out, woe is me. For the psalmist, his hope was fading. It was fading away. Woe is me is an expression used at funerals. He's at a point of breaking. He's longing for home. He's longing for peace. He's longing for rest. And it's fading away. And where he lived, where his dwelling was, was unbearable. Home for him was unbearable. The nations that he mentions, they were known for violence. They were known for treachery. Meshach and Kedar. I read that these tribes, they traveled and they were armed to the teeth. The psalmist didn't belong there. Even when, da when David was in Gath, uh, hiding out with the Philistines, he didn't belong there. He didn't want to stay there. He wanted to go home. He wanted to be in his home. Spurgeon says this. He says, those who defame the righteous are worse than cannibals. For savages only eat men after they are dead. But these wretches eat them up alive. For those who slander others, Spurgeon is saying they're worse than cannibals because they eat people up while they're still alive. For his hope was fading, his home was unbearable. He longs for peace, but a safe haven for this psalmist seems so far away. He says, I'm for peace, but when I speak, they're for war. You might remember the song, this world's not my home. I'm just passing through my treasure laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Just passing through. We're citizens of heaven first. We're citizens of the nation where we live secondarily. Have you ever tried to talk to someone and work things out and they responded to you not peaceably? 
Maybe they responded to you with the silent treatment. They just wouldn't talk to you. They said, I'm done talking. Maybe they unfriended you. Maybe they blocked you. They just won't talk to you because they don't want to hear what you have to say. Maybe they respond with stubbornness. They just choose to highlight your wrongs, your faults. They refuse to admit that they've ever failed. They just bring up your failures. Maybe they respond with strife, constantly bringing up your past ways, your behavior from the past, as if they haven't seen God changing you and as if they've never needed God's mercy for mistakes that they have made. The psalmist says this kind of person is for war. It's not a neat and clean ending to this psalm. So what happened? You have to go back to verse 1. I called to the Lord. The psalmist says, that's where my hope is. I called to the Lord and he answered me. So even if he hadn't answered yet, based on his faithfulness, I can count and depend on his word that ultimately and for all eternity, God is good, God is faithful, and he is, he is worthy of all of my trust and my highest praise, no matter how difficult and how low the valley, the hardest of times, my, my friend, we can offer to God our highest praise. I called to the Lord. He answered me. Jesus on the cross, dying words, it is finished. It is done. Paid in full. Let, a, let me encourage you as I need this encouragement. Fix your eyes on Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't escape the shadow of the cross. What are the next steps for us to take? Well, after the sermon, these questions will come up again on the screen for you, the screen for you to reflect on, discuss, and prayerfully apply to your lives. Are you more likely when hard times come to pray or complain? Pray or complain. Consider the faithfulness of God. How has the faithfulness of God encouraged you in this life? When it comes to our conversation, how well do you deal with the serious evil of slander? In your own tongue and with those around you, what changes need to be made? In light of Psalm 120, when it comes to peace, what can you do? to promote peace, God's peace, to be a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper, but a peacemaker in your relationships. I pray that you'll take those steps right away. Take those steps today. For in the cross of Jesus Christ, we see the divine response to our sin. Jesus was maligned. He was falsely accused. Yet what does the Bible say? He opened not his mouth. Jesus was the Lamb of God, slain for sinners. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and he will come again, and he will reign. And if you belong to him, if you belong to him, then you and I will reign with him forever. Are you longing for that day, my friend, or are you fearful of that day?
Either you will suffer the consequence of your sins or in faith you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and he has suffered in your place and your sins are atoned for, completely wiped away and you are looked at by God just as if you have never sinned and just as if you have always perfectly obeyed. Jesus suffered in your place. Let me encourage you. If you have never taken the step to come to faith in Christ, then let me encourage you, give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. Trust him today. And let us, for the rest of our lives, give our highest praise in every season, in every season of life. And I long for the day when we can be in person again, worshiping God right here in this place, or perhaps for those of you who are watching around the nation or even around the world, we'll meet one another around the throne of the land, the throne of the Lamb of God. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for the cross and thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. We love you and we offer to you in the hardest of times, Lord, by your Holy Spirit's power, we will offer to you our highest praise for you are good and all that you do is good. So teach us your ways in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.